You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have, for the first time ever in the history of Touch Em Up, predictions for the Professional Fighters League playoffs, the semifinals for the 145-pound featherweights and the 205-pound light heavyweights, who will punch their ticket to the finale on October 27th and be one step closer to claiming a tournament championship in the PFL. Without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, everybody. All right, all right, all right. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. You've already seen on this podcast, I have been able to talk to a lot of the men, a lot of the men in the semis this upcoming Friday, August 27th. I have an interview on my podcast with Brendan Lochnan, who's currently the number one seed. I have an interview with the number two seed, Chris Wade on my podcast. So this weekend is a huge event for the Professional Fighters League, a huge event for mixed martial arts in general, and a can't-miss event for any fan of mixed martial arts. Um, These fights are going to start at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+, and they take place from the Seminole the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. Um, Some really, really pivotal matchups in the featherweight and light heavyweight divisions. Very, very close matchups. The main event is probably one of the toughest fights to call in the history of the Professional Fighters League. And I'm really excited to get these predictions out to you. And I will have predictions up for the finale, which takes place on October 27th. So let's start it off right away, and um, let's just get it going because we got some cool, not some cool fights. I don't know what I'm saying. We got some good fights to cover and some very, very close matchups. We're going to start off at light heavyweight with Cesar the Mutant the mutant Ferreira, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and 9 defeats, going up against Martin Hamlet Nielsen, who comes into this fight with a record of 7 victories and 2 Defeat. Now, if you go into the uh, like the rankings and everything like that, you can pull up the standings for each of these men in the bracket. For the featherweights, 145 pounds, um, the number one ranked fighter in that division is Brendan Lochnan. Number two is the Long Island killer, Chris Wade. Number three is Bubba Badman Jenkins. And number four is the undefeated Movlid Habulayev. So, Really, really good fights there. Um, I'm really excited to get into that co-main event and that main event. As I already stated, very, very close matchups and uh, could really go either way. I could definitely see some underdogs pulling out the victory this weekend. Um, let's look at the rankings and the standings for uh, hold on PFL light heavyweight standings. So, um, top four fighters qualify. Okay, cool. Hold on. Here we go. So currently, that's featherweights. Here we go. Light heavyweight. So the number one ranked fighter at light heavyweight is Antonio Carlos Jr. He is one and zero and one no contest. Um, Cesar Ferreira is number two, who's one and one. Martin Hamlet is one and one as well. And then Emiliano Sordi, who's the former champion um, in previous years. I believe he was the champion in 2019, the PFL light heavyweight 205 pound tournament champion. He is one win and one no contest. 
or I'm sorry, he has one win and one no contest, but Antonio Carlos Jr., um, he he is at the top of the bracket with seven points. Cesar Ferreira right behind him with six points. Martin Hamlet, or Martin Hamlet, however you want to say his name, uh, is right behind them with five points. And then Emiliano Sordi is actually the fourth-ranked fighter with four points. So I believe how it goes is if you score a first-round finish, you get six points. If you score a knockout finish, you get five points. And if you score a submission finish, you get four points. And then if you get a decision, it's three points. So I think I think it was one finish and one no contest for Cesar Ferreira, or a one draw. And then I think for Martin Hamlet, it was one finish via submission. I know Cesar Ferreira got a knockout victory. Martin Hamlet got a submission and uh, Emiliano Sordi has a decision, and then one fight went to a draw. So um, light heavyweight is very, very close as well. It's not just the featherweights that have the best matchups on this uh, card. They both are very, very good, and um, this is probably one of the most stacked PFL rosters that has ever taken that has ever been a part of this professional fighters league. So we're gonna start off in light heavyweight. With the with Caesar Mutant, mutant I keep saying Mutant Caesar the Mutant Ferreira, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and nine defeats. He is currently ranked number two in the light heavyweight division. He is going up against Martin Hamlet Nielsen, who comes into this fight with a record of seven victories and two defeats, and he is ranked number three. So number two versus number three, and then number one versus number four. Um, number one being Emiliano Heman Sordi and Antonio Carlos Jr being um number one um number yeah like we said number four is emiliano sorti so without me getting you know tongue-tied anymore let's just get right into it so cesar ferreira he is a very good striker but he is more known for his grappling and his top heavy pressure um but when you look at his fights in the professional fighters league i mean he looks very very good on the feet He's got a clean straight left hand, which he got, which he used to score a first round knockout in um, his first fight, I believe, against. Here we go. Hold on, it'll pull up really quick. So he got the first round finish over Nick Rorick, I believe his name is. Um, caught him with a right hook as he was landing a combination from southpaw, landed the straight left, boom, came back to counter with the right hook as Rorick was trying to counter him and uh, dropped him and knocked him out. So we know that Cesar Ferreira has good power. He's got a really good straight left hand, a good right hook, um, some decent kicks as well. Look for him to uh, try to set up those outside and inside low kicks up against Martin Ham Martin Hamlet Nielsen. Um, when you come, when you look at Martin, I don't, I think it's Martin, but they spell it Martin. Um, when you look at Martin Nielsen, he is primarily a wrestler, but he uses some really unorthodox ways to get into the clinch and get you up against the cage. What he wants to do is get you up against that fence with wild punches and kicks, close that distance, and then eventually work his trips, work his body lock takedowns, suffocate you with pressure, work the ground and pound from the top, and eventually try to take your back and get a submission. Now, when you look at Martin Nielsen, um, I can pull it up right here or Martin Hamlet. I'm sorry, not Martin Nielsen, but he, they go, he goes by Martin Hamlet. When you look at Hamlet, he is actually coming off a loss. He is one and one in the PFL. Um, his last fight 
here we go. I can pull it up. Sorry, the PFL website is a little bit tricky sometimes. He got he got defeated by um, what's this guy's name? Hold on. Give me one second. His name his last name is Hendricks, but I cannot remember his first name. Here we go. Uh. By Corey Hendricks. He actually ended up getting the submission, I believe, in the third round. After getting dominated for much of the fight. And um, that just goes to show you the heart of Corey Hendricks. But he ended up falling out of the tournament. And I believe that's how Martin Hamlet ended up getting this spot to compete in the semifinals right before. And uh, his opportunity to get to the finale and fight for the light heavyweight championship. When you look at both guys, um, Hamlet is very, very heavy, like I said, with the grappling. Very, very top-heavy. Very, very, like, reckless in his ability to close the distance. He'll throw some wild kicks, some wild overhands. Look to land some heavy punches on you up against the cage. If he hurts you and rocks you on the feet, he's going to immediately jump on you. Try to get to a body lock and work his trips. Inside trips, outside trips. Throws from that body lock position. And just try to suffocate you and make it a very, very... Um, uncomfortable fight for you. He wants to make you quit. He wants to use that wrestling heavy pressure, kind of like an embrace the grind style of just getting on top of you, using those heavy wild shots to try to knock you out. If he can't knock you out, he can use those strikes to get into the clinch positions and um, get you to the ground and work from the top. Um, he did get submitted by Corey Hendricks, but Corey Hendricks obviously had to get, he got, um, I think he pulled out of the tournament from an injury. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I could be wrong on how that whole thing unfolded, but he is no longer in the tournament and cannot get to the championship. So I believe Martin Hamlet ended up getting his uh, chance to get to the finale, which is this fight against Cesar Ferreira. When I go to break down this fight, I'm sorry, when I go to break down this fight, I can't talk. Sorry, guys. It's been a long day, a lot of YouTube editing, a lot of recording, but no excuses. Um, Ferreira obviously has competed in the UFC before. Um, he's got very, very heavy hands. Like I said, a good right hook, a good straight left, really good low kicks as well to the inside and outside of your, of the opponent's lead leg. Um, if he lands with that straight left hand on your chin, he can knock just about anybody out. And that's definitely something that Martin Niels, Martin Hamlet is going to have to look out for. He's going to have to make sure he slips his head off the center line when he comes into range and cannot overextend on a lot of punches because Ferreira can come down the center and clip you with that straight left and then follow up with that beautiful right hook. If he gets Hamlet on the back foot up against the cage and starts landing his straight left, right hook, jab, straight left, one, two, three, two combinations, it's only going to be a matter of time before he lands on the chin of Hamlet and puts him out. We have seen Hamlet quit even when he's dominating a fight. That's exactly what happened against um Corey Hendricks, he was dominating that fight, dominating positions on the ground, you know, constantly going for submissions and not getting them, landing good strikes on the feet, hurting Corey Hendricks on the feet with his wild attacks, getting takedowns, body locks, trips, and just overwhelming him. But eventually he got tired, got worn out, and Corey Hendricks was able to land some good shots on the feet, make uh, Hamlet panic, shoot, turn, spin around, take the back, get his hooks in, sink up that rear naked choke, and get the tap. So we have seen Hamlet. Martin Hamlet quit. You know, the longer the fight goes, if you can drag him into deep water, you can make him quit. And I honestly think that's what we're going to see from Cesar Ferreira here. It's a close fight, and although I would say that Ferreira is definitely the, the more technical striker and the cleaner striker in terms of his shot selection and throwing his punches, um, he does 
he could get caught by some of the wild shots of Martin Hamlet. And I think that's something he's going to have to look out for. And you can't play around on the ground with either of these guys. I honestly think that the wrestling of Martin Hamlet could possibly tire out Ferreira the longer the fight goes. We saw in the fight against Chris Camozzi that he was winning the fight. Um, and then in the second round, Camozzi took over really, really solid body shots from uh, Camozzi. I think that that um, it would pay Martin Hamlet dividends to go to the body, use that front kick, use those left hooks and right hooks to the body, and try to suck the air out of Cesar Ferreira. Because yes, he can shoot takedowns, um, reactionary takedowns when he gets tired and when the fight goes longer. But honestly, I think that um, I think that um, Hamlet can also get tired. So the later the fight goes, I think. I would give Cesar Ferreira the the higher opportunity to push through those tough times and eke out a decision if it does go that long. Um, I'm going to go with Cesar Ferreira here. I think he lands a shot on the feet, lands that right hook, lands that straight left hand. I think he's kind of going to be similar to the knockout he got in his first fight this season in the PFL. The straight left, boom, landing that right hook, dropping the opponent and jumping on him for the TKO. So I'm going to go with Cesar the Mutant Ferreira to get the victory over Martin Hamlet via a... I'm going to go with a second round KO because I don't necessarily see a KO happening in the third round. If there is a finish, I would most likely see it being a submission. Ferreira being able to outscramble him on the ground and, um, you know, take the back and get the submission. But I'm going with Cesar the Mutant Ferreira to win via a second round knockout over Martin Hamlet Nielsen. All right, up next, another fight in the light heavyweight division. You got a battle between Emiliano He-Man Sordi and the number one ranked Antonio Carlos Jr., who comes into this fight with a record of 11 and 5. Emiliano Sordi, the former PFL light heavyweight champion, comes into this fight with a record of 23 victories, 8 defeats, and 1 no contest. Um, Sordi is ranked number 4. Antonio Carlos Jr. is ranked number 1, like we already stated. This is a very, very tough fight, as is the one we just talked about. Ferreira versus Hamlet is a close fight, too. They're very similar in their styles. And with this fight, light heavyweight, you know, Emiliano Sordi, I would definitely give him the advantage on the feet. But you've seen from Antonio Carlos Jr., his striking has gotten a lot better. He's got good hooks, good straight punches, good ability to follow up his punches with his kicks and then come back off the retraction of the kick with some hooks and straights of his own. He can mix it up. He can throw good combinations. But that's something I don't think he's going to want to do against a guy like Emiliano He-Man Sordi, who can mix it up on the feet, who is definitely the cleaner and more technical striker. He's got better combinations, a very good one-two, pull-two. That's actually what he landed on Chris Camozzi to drop him and hurt him in their fight. And then eventually, the longer the fight played out, it was 1-1 going into the third round, and Emiliano Sordi was able to drop him, get on top, and um, eventually outscramble Camozzi and work from the top position. One thing with Emiliano Sordi is he can knock you out on the feet, but do not underestimate this guy's grappling. He's a former tournament champion for a reason, man. He has great top control, very, very good heavy pressure, heavy pressure from the top mount, good ability to flow with positions on the ground, transition to the back, flatten the opponent out, land some good ground and pound. If they turn back into him, he can keep control of the position, um, great find the legs, and land some good shots on the ground. On the feet, he's a very, very solid striker as well. Good straight punches, good kicks to the head, good kicks to the body, can mix it up with combinations. And I think, honestly, his combinations and being able to mix it up so well as a mixed martial artist is going to play a big dividend for him against Antonio Carlos Jr. That doesn't mean that Carlos Jr. can't strike. Like we said, you know, he's got good hooks. He's got good straights, good combinations. I was very, very impressed with him in his last fight. 
when he landed a lot of solid combinations on the feet and um, good low kicks as well. I think that's something you definitely have to look out for if you're sortie is for Antonio Carlos Jr. to chop up that lead leg, whether it's going to the outside or going to the inside. He's going to look to rip up that lead leg in the combinations and eventually look to um, deaden that lead leg, halt your movement, and then he can land some good combos on the feet and also grapple you and out-grapple you. You know, um, Antonio Carlos Jr. is also a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's either a brown belt or a black belt. Um, Sordi, though, like I said, his grappling cannot be underestimated. Sordi is a guy who he's a very, very well-rounded mixed martial artist. He can fight you on the feet. He can knock you out, land a good right hand, land a good jab, uh, really good one-two pull two, like I said, um, good kicks to the inside of the leg, I believe is going to be on Antonio Carlos Jr. Cause I believe, uh, Carlos Jr. Is a Southpaw. Um, I could be mixing things up in my head, but he, um, he's, uh, Sordi's going to be looking for that outside foot. He's going to be looking to land that right body kick, looking to land that teep to the body, looking to land those one twos, pulling away from the wide shots of Carlos Jr. And then coming back on the counter. Um, you look at Antonio Carlos Jr.'s fights in the UFC and somebody he had a lot of trouble with was Uriah Hall. Um, the longer the fight went, he did have some decent success, but um, he did get dropped. He did get um, out footworked and out moved. Um, the lateral movement of Uriah Hall was able to kind of stifle Antonio Carlos Jr. And eventually he would catch him down the pipe on an angle and drop him and hurt him. And he dropped him a few times in that fight. Um, pretty much a dominant performance from the middleweight contender and Uriah Hall over Antonio Carlos Jr., but Junior also has a win via guillotine choke. Um, he can uh, he can shoot that head on the inside single, head on the outside single. Um, he can get that takedown, work in the top position, work from a half guard, get you to open up your back, jump on the back, put the hooks in, flatten out the opponent, land some ground and pound, and eventually look for a submission. That is where Antonio Carlos Jr. has to take this fight if he wants to win. But the problem is, I think we have seen from Antonio Carlos Jr. in his career that when he gets really far behind in a fight, he can sometimes get overworked and out-pressured and out-grinded. And Emiliano He-Man Sordi is a guy that he can be losing a fight, he can be losing a round. He got out-grappled by Chris Camozzi in their fight and um, lost that second round and came back in a fight where they thought he was going to lose because he looked fatigued, he looked outworked, he looked outgunned after a great first round. He came back, got the takedown off the counter, and then just outworked and, and controlled Chris Camozzi for the entirety of the round. If you get this guy on top of you, he's going to be able to control you, use those grapevine on the legs from the full mount, land some good combinations on the ground, land some punches, it'll get you to open up for a submission. He can also land those ground and pound and, and you know get a TKO if he needs to. We've seen him do that in a fight against um, Dan Spawn, where he almost got the TKO in the first round. After almost getting submitted himself, Daniel Spawn got the back, had the rear naked choke, Sorty um, was able to keep the chin down, control the hands, turn into uh, Dan Spawn, get on the top position, and just nasty, nasty ground and pound came from him. Now, you don't really want to go to the ground with Carlos Jr., so that makes me think that this fight's going to stay on the feet. And although Carlos Jr.'s striking has gotten a lot better, he's got good hit, good, good hicks, good hooks, good straights, and um, good combinations overall. He can mix together, you know, one, two, three punch combinations and end with a kick, um, land some punches off of his kicks. I don't think that's a place you want to be against Emiliano Sordi, who's got the knock, type of knockout power that he does. Um, so I think that even though the grappling is going to get stifled out, I think the ability to mix it up on the feet from Sordi, the pull counters, the straight punches, the, the ability to mix up the kicks and then land vicious combinations, boom, 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 boom. I think that's going to be the spell to end for Antonio Carlos Jr. Um, 
I think he's going to get, I think Emiliano Sordi gets a late third round uh, knockout or TKO. I'm going to go with a TKO. I think he drops some jumps on him and um, lands some vicious ground and pound from the top. So I'm going to go with Emiliano He-Man Sordi to defeat Antonio Carlos Jr. via a third round TKO. Now we move to the co-main event of the evening in the 145-pound featherweight division, which is, in my opinion, the most competitive division in the PFL bracket this year in the 2021 tournament. Um, up first in the co-main event, you've got the number two ranked the Long Island killer, Chris Wade, who comes into this fight with a record of 19 victories and six defeats, going up against the number three ranked Bubba Badman Jenkins, who comes into this fight with a record of 16 victories and four defeats. This is definitely my most one of my most interested fights interesting fights on the card of course i'm excited for the main event you've got the undefeated movlid habulayev 17 and 0 one no contest and brendan lochnin who formerly fought in the ufc you know the whole story behind the contender series if you don't definitely go back and listen to my interview i did with brendan lochnin a few months back and i also have an interview with the man in the fight we're about to talk about um with the long island killer chris wade a great interview definitely check that out too if you haven't done that yet um so the number two ranked chris wade versus number three ranked bubba jenkins um this is going to be a fight of the pressure and the wrestling and the constant shooting of takedowns cage control and you know um grappling of bubba jenkins along with some good striking you know he trains alongside dewey cooper i believe he's got some good striking on the feet a good one two switch stance into the straight left hand he can switch stance on the angle and land the straight left um He's got good striking, and I think that's something that people don't give him credit for just because of how much he uses his wrestling, and um, they kind of discredit how good he is on the feet. He's got good power. He's got good pop, and his strikes do have good technique. You know, he's not a guy who wrestles and then uses wide looping punches to close the distance and get into the clinch, whether it's the over-under or the double-under position. It's good straight punches, good combinations, decent kicks. Um, he does use a good uh, right kick to the body, a good left kick to the body. Um, look for him to definitely try to employ that in this fight. When you look at his opponent, the number two ranked Long Island killer, Chris Wade, um, Wade got the first knockout of his professional career in this tournament going up against here. We can pull it up here. Um, hold on. I believe his last fight he beat, um, Anthony Dizzy via decision. And then prior to that, he beat uh, this guy. I can't think of his name. Oh, no. Okay. So first, his first fight in the PFL um, 2021 season, he beat Anthony D uh, Dizzy via decision. That was on April 23rd, 2021. And then he has the knockout victory in the second round over Arman Ospinov, who in that fight, man, he took some bombs. From Armin Ospinov. Ospinov was landing vicious punches. He landed some some good high kicks. Um, vicious combinations on the feet. I mean, those combinations would have folded lesser men. I mean, this guy, um, Armin Ospinov, came out and threw the kitchen sink at Chris Wade. Wade got dropped. He got rocked. Um, got controlled on the ground a little bit, but was able to get back up. He does have decent um, defense, but his head movement is, is not that great. And he does tend to get caught if you throw more than one or two shots at him, the longer you make the combinations, the, the more likely you are to hit Chris Wade. And 
Bubba Jenkins in this fight, if he wants to win, he's going to definitely try to land some good combinations on the feet, get Chris to throw a kick, whether it be a side kick from um, Orthodox with that lead leg or a body kick from that left side um, in Southpaw. Chris's best kicks definitely come from that left leg, whether it's a round kick, a front kick, um, a side kick to the face, or um, like I said, that lead leg side kick if he is in Orthodox. Chris will switch between stances, but primarily fights out of orthodox. He he's a he's a tough son of a bitch, man. If I'm gonna give Chris Wade one thing, he is tough. Like I said, he took a hell of a beating from Armin Ospinov. He always stayed in the fight, came back and landed some good combinations, but his kicking game is really what took over in that fight. Um, but he took some vicious spinning back kicks to the body, switch kicks to the body, front kicks to the body, head kicks, vicious combinations with the hands, and just weathered the storm, kept pushing forward and getting on that forward pressure, and eventually landing that knockout head kick up against the cage. Was unorthodox, kept switching back and forth as he moved um, Armin Ospinov up against the cage, switching southpaw to orthodox and orthodox to southpaw, eventually set it up, boom, boom, right, or a left high kick, and then that hurt Armin, put him up against the cage. Chris jumped in, landed a few left hooks, and knocked um, knocked his opponent out cold, Armin Ospinov. And uh, that was the first knockout he got in his professional career. And to do it in the 2021 PFL season, it gets you more points. And like I said, it gets you one step closer to that tournament championship at 145 pounds. And before that, he was mainly a decision fighter, but he fought some good guys like Islam Mahachev, and uh, he's on a really good hot streak right now. So, you know, Chris Wade is tough. He's durable. He's gritty. He has tended to get taken down in some of his fights, but he can use his wrestling himself to outgrind and outpace and outpressure. And um, against a guy like Bubba Jenkins, he's going to like want to make sure that he sets up his kicks behind his punches. You don't want to throw any naked kicks or empty kicks against a high-level wrestler like Bubba Jenkins because he's going to catch the kick, use it to either hike up to a body lock, hike up to a head on the inside single, head on the outside single, turn the corner and dump, um, lift the leg and trip out the base leg, and then get to that body lock. He wants to get on the pressure for Chris Wade. He wants to get into that grappling. He wants to land some good punches on the feet, get Chris hesitant, and then eventually work his wrestling, try to out grapple, outpace him, and eventually work to a decision. Um, he does have power. Like I said, you cannot discredit the striking of Bubba Jenkins. He's pretty good on the feet. He doesn't really overcommit too much. Sometimes he'll kind of wait and see where the fight takes him and then land some good combinations. Like I said, the one, two is very good from Bubba Jenkins. One, two switch stance straight left. Um, he is good on that switch stance, good on switching stances on the angle. The one thing I think that's going to carry Chris Wade through this fight, though, is like I already said, man, his toughness. This guy is tough. He's durable. He pushes forward and does not stop moving forward. He took punches that should have put him out. 100% it should have put him out on the feet. You know, kicks, spinning back kicks to the body, head kicks, combinations, one, two, three, hooks and straights and overhands that should have put another put him out. And he kept moving forward and eventually knocked out his opponent. After almost getting finished in the first round, he comes back in the second round and gets that head kick knockout. And I honestly think that his durability and pace and cardio is going to carry him to a victory in this fight. He's a pretty hefty underdog against Bubba Jenkins. Um, and I think that's just going to carry him 
to win this fight is his pace and pressure because as you've seen from Bubba Jenkins, he wins a lot of fights via decision, but when it goes into that late second and into that third round, if you can push him back and get in his face and make it a dirty, messy fight and you know get on that pace and pressure and work his cardio, the longer the fight goes, man, he kind of tends to wilt and fade. And I think that Chris Wade will make Bubba Jenkins fade in that third round, um, land some good punches on him, and eventually get the TKO finish. He's not necessarily known for getting knockouts in his career, but I think Bubba Jenkins, the later the fight goes, he drops his hands, and he does leave himself open. I think uh, Chris Wade lands some good punches, lands some good kicks to the body um, later in the fight, which is really going to take the air out of Bubba Jenkins, lands a good high kick, um, follows up with some good punches, and you know, you know what? I don't know if I want to go. I'm either going to go a third-round TKO for Chris Wade or a 29-28 unanimous decision. I think the first round is going to be tough for him, but he's going to take over towards the middle to the end of that second round and into the third. But overall, I'm going to go with the number two-ranked Long Island killer Chris Wade to defeat the number three-ranked former world champion in Bubba Badman Jenkins. And he's a pretty hefty underdog. I believe he's like a plus 190. Um, I'm definitely riding with Chris Wade here to get the, the win. So Chris Wade to defeat Bubba Badman Jenkins via a, I'm going to go with a unanimous decision, 29-28, or a late third-round TKO, but I'm leaning more towards that decision and just taking over the longer the fight goes on. <clears throat> and now we move to the main event of the evening, a battle in the featherweight division between the number one-ranked Brendan Lochnan, who comes into this fight with a record of 21 victories and three defeats, going up against the number four ranked undefeated Movlid Habulayev. Or I'm sorry, Movlid Habulayev, who comes into this fight with a record of 17 victories, no defeats, and one no contest. This is the best fight of the night. I think it's one of the closest fights of the night. I think that this fight could honestly be the flip of a coin. I think that the co-main event and the main event, Wade versus Jenkins and Lachnan versus Haibulayev, are the best fights of the night, without a doubt. And when it comes to this fight, I mean, Brendan Lachnan is a guy who has a large fan following. He trains out of Syndicate MMA alongside one of his coaches, in the, who is a wrestling coach in Frank Hickman. I do have an interview up with Frank Hickman on the podcast, along with an interview uh, with Brendan Lochnan himself right after his last or right before his last fight in the PFL against Tyler Diamond. Now you look at Lochnan's fight against Diamond and a lot of people will say that when it went into the third round, um, you know, Diamond was able to get the takedown, work from the top position and kind of just make Brian, Brendan Lochnan tired. And you're not completely wrong there. He was tired. And the longer the fight went on, you know, the pace and the forward pressure of a guy like Tyler Diamond did overwhelm Brendan Lockton, but he easily won that fight. Easily won two out of three rounds. Scored, I believe, three knockdowns in the fight, um, but Tyler Diamond was just a tough kid. Um, weathered the storm, kept on, kept on coming, and eventually would work his wrestling and work his takedowns. Even after him getting dropped, he would grab an ankle and uh, work to get a single leg and eventually would wind up on top and uh, end the fight in top position. But Lockton is a guy that he doesn't get enough credit for his wrestling defense, and I think that that's something that is going to get um, overlooked in this fight against a guy who's such a dominant wrestler in the undefeated Haibulayev. Now, you look at Haibulayev's record, and he did get finished by Daniel Pineda. 
he got finished by Pineda um, via knockout. Daniel Pineda, who's in the UFC currently, um, but the fight was then declared a no contest after um, Daniel Pineda tested positive for PEDs. But he landed a low kick on the on the stand up from Haibulayev. He landed a left hook. He hurt him. He got him up against the cage. Landed some good punches. Boom! Cracked him with another left hook. Dropped him and got the finish. Obviously, like we said, Pineda did test positive for PEDs, so that fight was again declared a no contest. But you've seen this guy Haibulayev, and man, he's a beast. He's got he's got decent lateral movement. He doesn't really stay stationary in one position. He's got good striking, which is something I didn't really expect to see from Haibulayev. Uh, because uh, he was such a dominant wrestler. You see that when he gets a hold of guys, if he gets you in that body lock position, I mean, you're not getting him off unless he takes you to the ground and you can try to work your way back up to the feet off of like shrimping to get to a hip or using the overhook in the shrimp to then get your hips back and get back up to the feet. But if he locks you in that body lock, there's very, there's very few people on this planet that are going to be able to break that grip and get back to the center. He has the grip. He has an iron grip. Like he gets a hold of your body lock. He gets a hold of your body in the body lock or gets a hold of you in the body lock and you're going down. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. And if Haibulayev is able to pressure Brendan Lochnan and push him back right from the opening bell and, you know, get him up against the cage and work his takedowns and work his top pressure, he is going to make Brendan tired and he is going to be able to get those takedowns. One thing I think we've seen Haibulayev is a little bit susceptible to is getting hit with that calf kick, the low kick on the lead leg. Um, they're both orthodox fighters. Brendan will switch between um, orthodox and southpaw. Sometimes he'll switch, land a left high kick from southpaw, go back to orthodox, and then land the right calf kick on another orthodox opponent. If the opponent is southpaw, then obviously that would change up the trajectory of the kick and would make it an inside low kick on the lead right leg instead of the lead left leg, which goes to the outside. So, um, you know, I think that the low kicks of Brendan are going to be a big problem for Haibulayev, but he is going to have to make sure to set those up with feints, set them up off of a feint stance, switch, step back into orthodox, chop the low kick, um, jab, hook, low kick, cross, um, low kick, double jab. So then if you land the kick, he can't crowd you off that kick and shoot a takedown, either a double leg or a head on the outside single, or just trying to bum rush you and knock you off balance and then work his way to a body lock and then breaking you down um, by leaning over you, you know, in the, uh, the body lock position and just leaning over your lead leg and trying to break your posture like a Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, I think that Haibulayev is a good striker and Brendan cannot be reckless on the feet. He has to play it very, very safe. He has to play it very patient, and he has to play it very technical. He did that against Tyler Diamond, and it worked for him. You know, he scored a few knockdowns. He's very good with that um, uppercut up the middle, straight right hand, overhand right. So uppercut, straight, overhand. You saw him landed against Tyler Diamond a few times in their fight, and he's good once he hurts you. His straight punches, his one-two down the center is elite. It's crisp. It's technical, and they're, they're sharp punches, and he's got a lot of power. You saw even in the combinations he landed against Diamond, forward pressure and lowering your level is obviously going to add to the momentum and the the power of the uppercut, but he landed that uppercut. Boom! Come over the top. Boom! It was boom, boom, bop! It was a uppercut, overhand, Overhand, and every time he landed that punch, you heard the thud on Tyler Diamond's skull and on his chin. And I can't believe that Diamond was able to last in that fight. Another time he landed an uppercut, boom, landed a left hook, I believe, off the break. Hurt Tyler Diamond. Um, you know, the low kicks are going to be a big problem. He's very, very efficient and technical with those calf kicks. But like we said, against a guy who 
is as good of a wrestler and as strong as Haibulayev. I mean, this guy's back is giant. You can see all the definition in his back muscles. And when you have a big back and uh, your back muscles, you know, your traps and your deltoids are very big, it's going to aid you in your grappling and in your overall wrestling and grip strength. So if he gets on top of Brendan Lockton early on and can control him on the ground, it's going to be a long night for Brendan. You know, it's going to be a long, a long night for him if he cannot, you know, start off pretty strong, use his lateral movement, constantly switch stances. You're going to want to circle against the fence. One thing he has to do is stay off the fence. If you get trapped up against the cage, you have to make sure you work for that over and under position. Some shrimp your hip off the cage, or I'm sorry, not shrimp your hip, but buck your hip off the cage, turn back to the center, and then get back to work. Use your jab, use your low kicks, use a lot of feints to kind of get Haibulayev to get a little bit, you know, a little bit reckless and not reckless, but a little bit hesitant. Just feint the jab and get him to hesitate. Maybe shoot an, an unwise takedown and time him with the uppercut on the uh, coming in off the takedown shot. You know, fake. Fake, fake, get him to level change. Boom, uppercut, overhand right. Fake the level change. Boom, chop the low kick. When he tries to come in and crowd you, double jab. So fake the jab. Boom, calf kick, double jab, right hand, left hook. Fake the calf kick, right hand, left hook, go to the calf kick. He has to mix it up. He has to use fakes and feints, and he has to constantly be on his bicycle. He has to move laterally, move left and right, move in and out, and constantly change his stances. You know, when you change your stances consistently against a wrestler, it makes it harder for them to time their takedowns. And not only that, but it makes it harder for them to determine what takedown attempt they want to use. Maybe if you're an orthodox, they want to go with a head on the inside single, but you switch to southpaw, now they got to go head on the outside, so it changes is the trajectory the trajectory of their takedown attempt and their shots you know if you change stances boom boom then they might have to time you to where your mid stance switch and your stance is square then they can try to bum rush you and get you in a body lock or use that double leg takedown you know hike the head up turn the corner and get the takedown the best weapons for um Haibulayev to get takedowns against Lachnan is to get him up against the cage and work takedowns off the fence, whether it's a body lock, um, a double leg off the cage and turning the corner, a single leg transition to a body lock to an outside or inside trip. Those are going to be the best ways for Haibulayev to get the takedowns against Lachnan. Um, for Lachnan, he's going to want to stay off the cage, constantly switch his stances, change, change southpaw, orthodox, orthodox to southpaw. You know, if you're in orthodox, boom, chop that outside right low kick because you're going to be both in orthodox stances. When you're in south Southpaw, boom, chop that inside kick, boom, chop the body kick. You know, you have to change the trajectory of your kicks. You can throw some high kicks, but if I was uh, Brendan, I would look to throw the punches up top and use some fakes, throw some kicks to the body, and definitely chop that low kick. The low kick and the straight punches, the one-twos, are going to be the biggest weapons for Brendan, along with timing the level change and uh, using the feint, the uppercut feint. And using the level change uppercuts, kind of like a Chad Mendez, to time Haibulayev coming in and catch him um, as he lowers his level to get the shot for the takedown. Um, I think this is a really close fight. And, I mean, if you look at the odds overall for this PFL card, um, I'll give you the odds for the co-main event really quick because I, I didn't really talk about that. But I'm going with the underdog in the co-main event in Chris Wade. He is a plus 160 underdog compared to the minus 190 for Bubba Jenkins. And then in the main event, it's a plus 130 for Brendan Lochnan to a minus 150 for uh, Movlid Haibulayev. And honestly, um, I think that's a decent betting line, but I expected uh, Haibulayev to be a little bit more of a heavy favorite just because of the type of bias we normally see 
on undefeated records and the money that tends to come in on people and fighters with an undefeated record. I expected Haibulayev to be around a minus 200, a minus 210, maybe a minus 220. But um, Lockton coming in at a plus 130, that is good, good money for an underdog. And um, I do think it's close. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I think Lockton's going to dominate or I think Haibulayev's going to run right through Brendan Lockton. I'm not going to sit here and say that because it would just wouldn't give enough credit to how close this fight actually is and how much of a flip of a coin it is. If it goes to the ground consistently and is able to use his strength, use his pressure, use his uh, wrestling from the body lock, from the regular single legs, from the double legs, and and work the top pressure and land good ground and pound, it's going to be a long night for Brendan, and it's probably going to be either a late TKO or a decision victory for Haibulayev, and he'll improve to 18-0. But if the lateral movement, if the constant stance, which is makes it harder and makes it hesit- makes Haibulayev a little bit hesitant to shoot those takedowns, I expect the jab, the calf kicks, you know, chaining the feints and fakes with the calf kicks going from kicks to punches and punches to kicks to give Haibulayev a lot of trouble. And I think that the lateral movement of Brendan Lockton along with those stance switches is going to make it a little bit harder for Haibulayev to time his takedown entries and time his entries or time his takedown entries and time the takedown attempts. Along with that, um, Haibulayev isn't a terrible striker. Like, I don't want to come in here and say that, oh, he's just a wrestler. That's the only way he can win. He's got good power in his hands. He's got a really, really good left hook. That's something Brendan's going to have to watch out for. If he switches to Southpaw, um, look for, um, Haibulayev to try to get that outside foot off a of feint and then land the left hook. If they're an orthodox, look for him to slip, come over the top of the cross and, uh, land that, um, left hook as well. The best punch for Haibulayev is the, Left hook, definitely, from what I've seen from the tape. Um, You've seen against Damon Jackson, man, he can land flying knees going backwards. I mean, this guy does have knockout power. He can knock you out, and he's such a good wrestler. He's very, very well-rounded. I would say that the more well-rounded fighter from top to bottom is probably Movlid Haibulayev, um, just because of how good of a grappler and how good of a wrestler he is. But Brendan Lockton's takedown defense is is very very solid. Um, he's got good hips. He can he can stuff takedowns that are very very deep. Find a way out of it. You know, um, get the underhooks or the over under position or you know limp leg out of a lot of single leg attempts and uh, you know step over the back and turn the corner and uh, get back to the sprawl position and go back to the center. He's good at defending the takedowns, man. And I think we're gonna see that here against Taibulayev. And overall. Um, I see a lot of people doubting Brendan Lockton here as an underdog, and I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm picking Brendan Lockton, who is currently the number one seed in the 145-pound division, to defeat the number four-ranked Movlid Haibulayev um, and break his undefeated record. I expect Lockton to hand Haibulayev his first professional defeat, um, technically his second, but the loss against Daniel Pineda was you know, obviously overturned to a no contest, but Pineda landed a good shot. He is a powerful striker. He does have good power in his hands, but honestly, I think that if Pineda can land on your chin and hurt you, I know he was on PED, so you can't put it, you can't put a lot of stake on it or, um, you know, you can't really bank on that because obviously the the decision was overturned because he tested positive for PEDs, but you know, Lockton is a lot better striker and a lot sharper of a striker than Pineda. He's so fast, so clean, so technical. I think he's going to be able to find that chin off of a lazy takedown attempt or maybe off of a feint, get um, Haibulayev to overextend, 
you know, land a low kick and then land a good shot up top. I think Brendan Lockton lands on the chin of Movlid Haibulayev and uh, wins this fight and breaks the undefeated record, handing Movlid Haibulayev his first professional defeat. So my pick is Brendan Lockton, the number one seed, to defeat number four ranked Movlid Haibulayev via a, I'm going to go with a second round knockout. Um, chopping the low kicks early in the first round and then off a faint landing a one, two down the middle and dropping Haibulayev and jumping on him to get the finish. So the number one ranked Brendan Lockton to defeat Movlid Haibulayev and hand him his first professional defeat via a second round knockout. So if we're going off of these predictions and I want to predict the championship for the PFL 2021 season, which takes place on October 27th, the, the bracket would look like this. For the light heavyweight championship, it would be Emiliano Sordi versus Cesar Mutachi, the mutant Ferreira. So uh, Sordi versus Ferreira for the light heavyweight final. And for the featherweight final, it will be the underdog of the tournament and the guy who didn't really get enough respect for how good he is, the number two ranked Long Island killer Chris Wade versus the number one ranked Brendan Lochnan. So Wade versus Lochnan for the featherweight championship. For the PFL 2021 season is my prediction, and Ferreira or Ferreira versus Sorty is my prediction for the light heavyweight championship final for the 2021 PFL season. I hope you guys enjoyed this, and um, I will definitely have more predictions out as uh, the PFL championship looms closer. The 2021 PFL championship will have predictions on this podcast, and if you guys like me going into PFL and uh, changing pace a little bit and giving you predictions for the fights you know, before they do, before they come up, you know, like we do with the UFC events. And uh, I will have predictions for Barbosa versus Chikedzi, um coming up this week, maybe tomorrow if I have, if I can find the time to record the episode. But uh, yeah, if you guys enjoy the PFL predictions and um, you go back and listen to my interviews I've done with a lot of the P- fighters in this 2021 PFL tournament, definitely um, subscribe to the podcast, you know, leave it a review anywhere you can, especially on Apple podcasts, listen to the podcast anywhere you can. It's available on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, anchor, stitcher, breaker, and many, many more. Um, you can find me on Instagram at glorious M and M that is G L O R I O U S M A N D M. And you can find me on Twitter at armbar nation three one six. That is a R M B A R N A T I O N three one six on Twitter. And you can find my YouTube channel, which has uh, technical breakdowns of fighters, technical breakdowns of fights, um, episodes of this podcast. I just put up a video on YouTube about CM Punk's return to professional wrestling after an eight year long hiatus when he returned this Friday or last Friday at the uh, AEW Rampage show at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. Um, yeah, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. You can donate via PayPal and you can also become a paid listener of the podcast. Thank you for all your support. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody. All right.